Well, as we prepare to hear the Word of God today, uh, let me invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Uh, That's our focal passage for today, Galatians 3, 1 through 9. As you turn there, uh, let me just say, next Sunday uh, we'll have a, a message, a Christmas-themed message from Isaiah chapter 9. Um, a, um, a, the land living in deep darkness has seen a great light. That'll be the focal point um, for next Sunday. This morning we're going to continue our sermon series through the book of Galatians. And if you'll remember... Paul is writing to a handful of churches in the region of Galatia. And those churches, after Paul has gone in and preached the gospel and established churches in that region and left, a group of people called the Judaizers have come in afterward uh, and have told them, hey, Jesus is great and it's wonderful that you believe in Jesus, uh, but in order for you to be fully pleasing to God, you also have to add to faith works of the law. You have to obey Moses, you have to obey the Old Testament laws, uh, you have to contribute to your salvation through your own works. And Paul is writing this um, letter, um, and, and he's angry, and, and from start to finish, the energy level is high, and he's confronting them. Just look at, at verse 6 of chapter 1 to get a picture of what I'm talking about. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The point is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, is that God has paid your sin and He has offered this as a gift to you, and you don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. I love this quote by John Owen. He says, We can begin each day with the deeply encouraging realization that I'm accepted by God, not on the basis of my personal performance, but on the basis of the infinitely perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a weight lifted for those who are trying to please God, for those who are working hard to be accepted by God, to have a relationship with God. What a a wonderful way to ease that burden to understand the gospel uh, frees us from that sort of works-based righteousness. Let's pray, and we'll read Galatians 3, 1 through 9 together. Father, we thank you so much that we are accepted by you, not on the basis of our own works, that you truly and deeply love us, not based on our own perfection, not based on our own works, not based on anything that we could do in our flesh, but the basis for your love and acceptance of us is what we do with Jesus Christ and his infinitely perfect righteousness and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. We thank you that based on what we have done with him, is the basis on which we are received by you. You have adopted us into your family. You have made us heirs of the promise. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit. And you have done all these things because of faith. Faith alone, and we praise you for that. We pray that we would establish this truth in our hearts, that we cannot please you through works of the flesh, but only with what we do with Christ. And at this season... 
as the skit demonstrated, as the children showed us that there's so many things that we try to do this time of year, let one of them just be resting in our relationship with you by faith in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, follow along with me. Let's read Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, just so we understand what Paul is doing here, uh, he has made his argument that salvation is by grace through faith, that you're perfectly pleasing and acceptable to God based on what you do with Jesus Christ and not on any other foundation. There is nothing else by which we are pleasing and acceptable to God, not our own works, not our own um, acts of righteousness, not our own morality, not our own um, efforts. It's not like God is there um, checking a to-do list and if you say the right thing, and if you show up at the right times and if you do all the right things that you um, find acceptance and favor with him we are um, accepted based on what we do with Christ alone and Paul has sought to reestablish that in rebuking the churches in the region of Galatia um, for listening to those false teachers who came along and polluted the gospel message if I took a, a pure cup of water uh, and dropped one drop of poison in it, it would no longer be pure water and you would reject it. The gospel is similar. Paul preached the pure gospel to them and the Judaizers came along adding works, adding things that they needed to do to be acceptable to God. And so this is why Paul is so angry. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly abandoning the gospel. So Paul has reestablished the purity of the gospel, and now he's going to offer a variety of reasons why the Galatian churches should re resist and reject the seductive teaching that salvation is accomplished by anything that we can do in and of ourselves. He reestablished the purity of the gospel, that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. No works, no pilgrimages, no special trips, no prayer beads, no secret formulas, no secret spiritual insights, no to-do list, no works of righteousness. The gospel is simple and beautiful in that God loves you and He has made a way for you to reestablish a relationship with Him 
by faith through Christ. He made that offer to you possible by becoming a human and taking the punishment that we deserved on himself. And you can receive that gift by faith. Other people will try to barter with God, rejecting that premise that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Others will come and say that Jesus is not the only way to heaven, that there are many roads that lead to God. But in doing so, they reject Jesus and they attempt to barter with God saying, I know you said this is the way that I can have a relationship with you, but... um, But God has made a way very clear and he does not allow us to barter with him or to reject his terms for reconciliation. And his terms for reconciliation are based on the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Oftentimes people try to present their plan to God. Um, If I, um, you know, if I do this, if I do these works, then you should let me into heaven. That's rejecting his plan and and bartering with God, offering him our own plan for salvation. So in this section of the letter to the Galatians, Paul is listing the variety of reasons why they should reject works-based salvation. He's going to appeal to God's work in redemptive history. He's going to appeal to the way in which God began redemption throughout history. And, and you know the stories very well. He's going to look back at redemptive history, and he's going to talk about Abraham, and he's going to talk about Moses, and he's going to talk about Jesus. Now, how many of you uh, have ever taken a road trip uh, through Kansas to Colorado? Anybody just raise your hand? Anybody experience that flat, disgusting, smelly land? Anybody from Kansas, right? I'm so sorry to offend you. Um, I, I can say that because I'm from Oklahoma, which is just as disgusting visually as Kansas. Uh, very flat, very ugly. Uh, but something happens along, um, you know, I-40, uh, along Route I. 80, whenever you're uh, passing through those flat step lands and and something beautiful comes up on the horizon and you start to see the gorgeous Rocky Mountains. Uh, It's in this amazing view um, that Paul is pointing to this mountain range of Moses and uh, Abraham and to Jesus. And these, this mountain range towers above all else in redemptive history. And so Paul is going to point out three of these peaks. And he's going to appeal to Abraham and to Moses and to Jesus as to why salvation is by grace through faith and not by works. He uh, does these uh, sort of mountain peaks, and and chapter 3 of Galatians is one of the more difficult chapters uh, in the Bible to understand. Uh, One commentator noted that there are over 300 different interpretations of some of the passages in Galatians 3. It's a very difficult passage. But as we uh, attempt to sort of scale this mountain range of Galatians 3, you don't want to miss the view uh, this summer, Julie and I um, were able to go to Mount Rainier, and, um, and from a distance, uh, covered in fog, we could see different parts of Mount Rainier, um, and we're novice, I mean, we're not hikers, really, uh, I mean, just look at me, right, we're just, um, we kind of bought this poles, and we were trying to lumber our way through the paved areas, but, but on the last day, it was clear, and, uh, and we decided that, uh, that we were going to try to go a little higher. And so we followed a path a little higher. And every, every time we went a little higher, 
a little higher. After a couple of hours, uh, the view was incredible the higher we got. Galatians 3 is similar in that if you'll work to understand what Paul is describing here, you'll have a bigger picture of redemptive history, of how God has planned this out from the beginning, that he's not simply responding to sinners in salvation. He has planned this from the beginning. And so in this first section, we understand that Paul is appealing to the first mountain peak of Abraham. The covenant that God made with Abraham shows us the necessity of faith. Paul stresses faith throughout Galatians as opposed to those Judaizers who want a combination of works and faith. So let's get back into the text. We're going to cover verses 1 through 9 fairly quickly this morning. Uh, Paul starts, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's a funny word, uh, bewitched. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's from a word, baskino, and it, it really literally means to cast an evil spell. Uh, wishing injury upon someone. Um, in my mind, when I read that backstory, I thought of um, you know some sort of a, a movie scene where someone takes a, a some sort of a voodoo doll or something, and they're trying to inflict injury on somebody. They're trying to injure someone or trying to hurt someone through some sort of evil means. That's the word that Paul uses. Uh, it means to cast an evil spell, wishing injury upon someone. It means to exercise evil power over someone. Uh, and it came from classical Greek. Aristotle used Biscaino in this way. He said, uh, it's bewitching through the use of an evil power. That is, putting someone under a spell so that they can no longer think, act, or uh, reason, and it's also associated with jealousy. Paul uses this one word, and it's the only time it's used in the New Testament, uh, and it describes the evil with the evil intent, the bad motives with which those Judaizers were attempting to pollute the purity of the gospel. It was a, an evil intended to injure. Have you ever been on the wrong end of somebody with evil motives that are intended to injure you? Yeah, I think we can all relate to that. Somebody has something against you and they act horrendously, um, intentionally seeking to destroy you or to injure you. Um, that's what Paul is describing in the polluting of the gospel. He says, who has done this to you? And then he rapid fires uh, six questions here in verses one through five. Who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So he's saying the gospel was really clearly presented before you. It wasn't, um, it wasn't cloudy. It wasn't confusing. I know because we were there. We were in Galatia and when we went to Iconia and Derby and Lystra and, and all these places, places where these Galatian churches were started, the gospel was presented really clearly. So then he says in verse 2, let me ask you this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, 
And what's he talking about the suffering? Well, some people think that the appeal for the Judaizers was that um, they wouldn't be persecuted. And remember, the main instrument for persecution at this time were the the Jewish religious leaders, Paul being formerly one of them. They were were the, the, the greatest persecutors of the new church. And so these Judaizers thought, if only we could compromise. If everybody's being persecuted because of saying that Jesus alone is enough for salvation, then if we compromise, and add a little bit of Moses to a little bit of gospel, then no one gets hurt. There is no persecution and everybody's happy. Uh, and all they have to do is get circumcised and follow the laws and the, the dietitian laws and all these other things in, in Moses. And so that compromises what polluted the gospel, but it kept them from suffering. And so maybe the Galatian churches were sick of suffering. Maybe they were tired of being persecuted. And this seemed like a, a fairly easy compromise or a nice trade-off. So Paul is saying, it was in vain that you suffered. Did you suffer in vain? Uh, and then the, verse 5, he, he asked this question, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit? This is the key question. Paul is honing in on the Holy Spirit. He wants them to see this answer clearly. And his point is, you received the Holy Spirit when you believed in Jesus Christ. You did not receive the Holy Spirit when you fulfilled a long checklist of things to do and then God rewarded you for your works. So the key point here is what do you do? Uh, how, How do you understand how the Spirit came upon you? And he reinforces that the Holy Spirit comes at the point of faith. You see this really clearly if you if you flip backward in Acts. Flip back with me to Acts, just a few books uh, before this. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has been summoned by a man named Cornelius. And in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is a Roman um, a soldier, and he has summoned Peter, and in verse 24, in Caesarea, Cornelius has called together all of his relatives and his close friends because a vision came to him saying, uh, Peter's going to come and he's going to share a message of hope for you. Uh, When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am just a man. And as he was talking with him, he went in and he found many people gathered. And Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Why did you send for me? And Cornelius said, I'm reading verse 30, Cornelius said, four days ago at about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, 
He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and now you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, this is the faith that Peter is preaching, that you have to have faith in Jesus Christ to receive the forgiveness of sins through his name. But look what happens. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, what happened? The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard that word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing them, these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now I read this lengthy example to demonstrate to you that when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, he comes upon a person at faith, at the moment of faith, at the part when they transfer their trust. Paul wants them to understand this point clearly. So let me talk about the Holy Spirit for a minute. Because in talking to people, you get all kinds of weird understandings of the Holy Spirit. He's an energy force, or he's a it, or he's a, you know, some sort of a magical power, or he's a ghost. There are all these um, sort of misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. So let me just reinforce to you some of the truths about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells a person fully at salvation. There is no partial filling of the Holy Spirit. You don't get half the Spirit now and the rest of the Spirit as you work harder or as you do right things. You receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of faith. You're not sort of filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Some uh, denominations and other um, groups of believers might say that you can be filled with more of the Holy Spirit. I remember being um, in a charismatic uh, arena and people were sort of going crazy and running and dancing around in the aisles. And, and this one particular person near me was saying, give me more of the Holy Spirit. More, more, more. And he would chant this for 15 or 20 minutes longer. And, and as he received more, so to speak, in, in the way he was describing it, he would fall on the ground and kind of flop around even more. And, and I just had my fill of it. I, 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 was, I was done with it because Scripture in no way anywhere teaches that we should be, uh, that we have some sort of partial filling of the Holy Spirit and that when we do more things or get worked up emotionally, that we can receive more of the Spirit to do more bizarre behavior. That is not the way the Holy Spirit operates. We may live in such a way, in such a fleshly way, Galatians 5 teaches, teaches that we're living to our flesh. And in contrast, we can live to the Spirit by which we are influenced more of the Spirit. But Scripture teaches that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit fully at salvation at the moment of faith. We don't get more of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this example will help. Each night when you look up into the sky, the entire moon is there, right? But you don't always see the entire moon. Sometimes it's obscured by fog or by clouds uh, or by the earth's shadow from the sun, but the moon is still full. We have the full indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. Not the partial indwelling, but the full indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians does tell us to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit, meaning that we can allow more or less influence of the Spirit in our life, but we don't try to get more. John 16 also tells us more about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, if you're looking for a lengthy chunk of Scripture that teaches on the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit will come, and He will convict the world uh, regarding sin and judgment and righteousness. It also says in John 16, 12, uh, 16 13, that the Holy Spirit comes, He is the Spirit of truth, and He will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come he will glorify me he will take what is mine and declare it to you the holy spirit does all of these things and these are sort of um regular right the holy spirit reminds you of truth Have you ever been um, walking uh, or uh, listening to something and all of a sudden a, a passage of scripture pops into your mind and and you begin to think and it changes the way you're, you're thinking about something or you're thinking about a person and 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 then all of a sudden um, you you may text them or contact them and say i was thinking about you at this particular time and and they say oh i was just going through a, sit, a situation and in all these ways, the Holy Spirit leads us and moves in us and, and, and does this sort of incredible activity um, that, that is, is almost like an operating system humming in the background. 
gently guiding, gently leading, sometimes uh, uh, in more powerful and clearer ways, but all the time active in the life of the believer. And this is a promise. The activity and work of the Holy Spirit is for those who have believed by faith. And we don't have to radicalize the work of the Holy Spirit or distort the work of the Holy Spirit into some sort of superficial external gifting. The Holy Spirit comes upon a believer. And and Ephesians says in chapter 1, when you heard the word of truth and believed, you were at that moment sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who becomes then then the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And listen, you did not receive the Holy Spirit because you did something works-wise. You receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit when you believed. I want you to think about the Holy Spirit in your life. Are you operating in such a way as to receive maximum influence by the Spirit of Christ in your life? Or are you still operating in such a way that you're leaning on your own human understanding? That you're leaning on your own uh, thoughts and ideas and worldly philosophies? What a tragedy to live your whole life being delivered from the worldly system controlled by Satan and being indwelt with the Holy Spirit and then relying on that worldly system rather than the Spirit of God who dwells within you. What a tragedy. And yet many believers do not live the Spirit-filled life. Or they have some misconception that the Spirit-filled life has everything to do with how I feel and what kind of goosebumps I got and what I do uh, during a worship service or what I feel when I sing in a dark room. We grossly misunderstand the Holy Spirit or pervert the work of the Spirit or the evidence of the Spirit. And so Paul is asking them, understand what God has given you as a deposit and you got it when you believed, not by works. Let's just look at the, uh, the next section here. Verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Verse 8 of Galatians 3. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And we're going to close with this section. You remember from Genesis 15 and from Genesis 12 that God made all these promises to Abraham. Hey, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. All the nations uh, are going to be touched by you, are going to be blessed by you, through you. And, and Genesis 15, 6 says that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So there's faith immediately from our highest patriarch in the faith. Um, Paul is highlighting by appealing and pointing them back to Abraham the primacy of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. 
I uh, am from a sort of quasi-Catholic cultural background, and and yet I was not a Christ follower in my in my youth, in my childhood, um, in my teenage years at all. Uh, would have considered myself more of an atheist. Uh, but due to uh, my immorality and the terrible decisions that I made as a teenager, I came to a place where I cried out to God uh, and asked him if he were real, if he would save me. And, uh, and just a day or so later, he sent a stranger to my door who just happened to be going through my neighborhood. And he knocked on my door and he asked if I died today, if I know I'd go to heaven. I said, I, I don't know that, but I would like to know. And so he shared the gospel with me. And, and for the first time, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and I put my faith in Christ. Now, over the coming months, I was clumsy and kind of weird as a believer, as just a new believer trying to still sort of do the things I used to do and then learning new things about the faith. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to read scripture. I didn't know how to go church. But, but uh, I remember three or four months in, this is so dumb. I can't believe I'm talking about this, but, but I would, I would go on these things that I thought were faith walks to try to increase my faith or to help my faith. And I would have these long two to three hour, like prayer walks where I would just pour out my heart to God and talk about everything. And I, I looked at a journal the other day and I remember this particular entry as a 17 year old, um, um, where I had, uh, walked for a period of blocks with my eyes closed, right? And, and, thinking how um, if I didn't trip on a curb, then the Holy Spirit was real or something along those lines. Just, and I, of course I'm tripping on everything and, and walking through traffic. I mean, you know, I kind of have one eye open while I'm walking. It was the dumbest sort of thing. But as a new believer, not understanding faith and trying to develop this sort of thing, um, the life of faith isn't like that, all right? That's dumb kindergarten faith, uh, 17-year-old Gibson walking blindly through traffic. That, that is not what God calls you to do, all right? Faith does not look like that. But it is true that we live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is believing in God. When He leads you to do something that you don't understand, that you might not even agree to, that calls you to him or to step out in some way in discomfort or in difficulty to trust him. Maybe God is calling you to say something to somebody and you're nervous about that. Maybe God is calling you to leave a career and to pursue him in some sort of missionary activity or some sort of other endeavor. Maybe God is asking you to adopt or to foster. Maybe God is asking you to do something and you're afraid. And in your flesh, it would be safer to pick a different path, to go down this way versus that way. Faith isn't just level one, I trust in Jesus, and then the rest of your life is sort of lived out in your own flesh and attempts. Paul says, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to work out your salvation through works? Faith is something that we walk by for the rest of our life. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will what? Make straight your paths. What was the last faith decision that you made? When was the last time 
God called you to do something that was uncomfortable, painful, sacrificial, hard. And you said, Lord, I don't see how or I don't see why, but I'm going to trust you in this. When did you last step out in faith? What is God currently calling you to do that requires an exercise of trust? Have you found yourself walking in some sort of comfort zone? Predictably walking by your flesh? Never tapping in to the abiding faith and power in Jesus Christ? If you're not experiencing the activity of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis in your life, not the crazy stuff, right? The day-to-day influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. It could be an issue that you've stopped walking by faith. Faith is a trusting response to what God is leading you to do. Faith is not handing God your greatest dreams and wishes and then believing that he can make it happen. Right? That's, that's called a genie in a bottle. Right? That if you just do the right things, that God will make all your dreams come true. That's not faith. Yes, God can do all things. But just because you present your greatest wishes to God, that doesn't mean you have great faith believing that he's going to do what you want him to do. Faith is a response to what God is leading you to do. And I'm not sure what God might be leading you to do today. Maybe your response is to lay down your works. To stop trying to please God by your own activities or by your own uh, works of righteousness, but to receive the fact, to receive the gift that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, taking your own punishment on the cross for your sins. And to receive that by faith, that you are now accepted by God on the basis of what Jesus did not on the basis of what you did. Maybe a step of faith for you is uh, that, that you need to go to somebody and make, make something right. Maybe there's a rift in a relationship and you don't know how it's going to go out. You don't know how it's going to turn out. Maybe, maybe you've offended somebody and, and you need to go and ask for forgiveness. Maybe you uh, need to confess sin to somebody and you're afraid. How are they going to respond to me? Whatever it is that God is calling you to do, the faith response demonstrates trust and allows you to experience more of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Father, as we hear your word today, and as we consider it, would you give us the gift of faith? Would you give us the gift of believing in you and trusting in you, despite what we see? We thank you that we live this life by faith in the Son of God. And faith does not disappoint. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And we thank you that what we long for, what we only can taste on this side of heaven, is only a few days away. That in just a short time, we will enter into eternity. And our eternity will be determined by what we do with Jesus Christ, whether believing in him and trusting him, or in bartering and rejecting him. I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to trust in you. Like the guy who cries out in Mark, help me, Lord, I believe, but help me to believe. 
Lord Jesus, would you perfect our faith? In Jesus' name, amen.